Okay, well, thank you everyone for joining us today. Uh, we're here to discuss edge computing and 5G together with Hub Security's very own CTO, Andre Yaramenko, alongside Jacqueline Tio, Global Chief Digital Officer at HGC, Alex Schlager, Cybersecurity CPO at Verizon, and Paul Lewis, Global CTO, Board Advisor and Educator. Welcome to all of you. And we'll start our webinar with a brief introduction from Hub Security uh, CTO Andrea Romenko on today's discussion topics. And then our panelists will each get the chance to introduce themselves and with expertise. After we'll get into a bit of a deeper discussion on everything related to edge computing, 5G, and cybersecurity. Um, at the end, uh, we'll hold a short Q&A to wrap everything up. So if you have any questions throughout the discussion, feel free to drop them in the Q&A section below, like I've mentioned, and we will get to them at the end. Um, we have an impressive lineup of panelists tonight, and I'm excited to have them introduce themselves to you. Uh, maybe we'll just go one by one, starting with Jacqueline, followed by um, Alex, who will st still join us, um, has yet to join us, and then uh, Paul. Um, but first, we'll begin with a few words uh, from Andre. Uh, I'd just like to introduce Andre really quickly. Um, before that, um, hello, Andre. Hi, Stanley. Hello. Uh, glad to meet you all. Uh, Andre Yarmenko is the co-founder and CTO of Hub Security, a military-grade hardware security firm built by XIDF 8200 unit security experts. Um, Andre has a vast technological background in software and hardware development and specializes in the architecture of complex software and hardware systems. Um, during his 13 years of service in the IDF's 8200 elite unit, um, Andre uh, gained rich experience in managing RF design and manufacturing, boards, embedded programming, FGP, FPGA design, excuse me, hardware design and implementation. We're so glad that you could be here with us today, Andre, welcome. Thank you, thank you, Sterling. Thanks for the warm introduction. Would you like to share a few words about today's discussion topic um, and maybe um, what we can expect to, to hear? Yes, definitely. So I think the 5G and edge uh, uh, is very, very exciting and hot topic today for, uh, for many perspectives. And uh, our today's uh, speakers each represent a different, uh, different perspective and different uh, view of uh, this huge and uh, constantly evolving uh, topic, uh, both 5G and both edge, which connect together. And uh, we are going to discuss, I think, today many, uh, many different questions and uh, many views on uh, what, is, uh, what 5G brings uh, to the world, brings to, to businesses, to enterprises, one from the security perspective and also from the functionality and the improvements to the uh, different types of uh, applications, different types of businesses, and uh, also how it comes together, uh, the security, the privacy, uh, the functional improvements, and also uh, what new and exciting things we can do with the, these uh, technologies by combining also the very fast communication, the 5G and the the edge devices that are getting smarter and smarter and doing much more things today than uh, even a few uh, years ago. Definitely, I'm looking forward to it. 
Um, next, I'd like to um, have, uh, introduce Jacqueline. Hello, Alex. Thank you for joining. Um, next, I want to have Jacqueline introduce herself and then Alex, um, you can introduce yourself as well. And Paul, let's try to keep it short because we have a long discussion ahead of us, but maybe you could just give us a few brief sentences about uh, who you are, what you do and why you're here today. Jacqueline, you're muted. I said, sorry about that. Um, good, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everyone. I am Jacqueline. I am the Chief Digital Officer for HDC Global Communications. Um, the whole topic of um, edge, 5G, AI, cybersecurity is very close to our heart. We are a fixed line operator uh, located in Asia where uh, the edge is, um, the edge and edge technologies are growing rapidly uh, because of our you know, growing population, population that has had to um, do a lot of remote working. And so the amount of demand of content applications and transactions uh, in a very distributed fashion is growing rapidly in Asia. So it's absolutely a space that HGC is in at the moment and uh, investing a lot of um, time, effort, intelligence, and resources in. So very glad to be here. We're glad that you can be here with us today. Um, Alex, you're next. Hey, good morning, good afternoon. Uh, thank you for having me. Alex Schlager, I'm the Chief Product Officer for Cybersecurity at Verizon, uh, for the Verizon Business Group in particular. And uh, as you can imagine, 5G is uh, what keeps us awake at night and keeps us quite busy. The rollout is, is in full motion in the US. Um, and uh, from a security perspective, uh, this you know, represents new challenges, but also new opportunities. So looking forward to the discussion today. Thank you. Thank you too. Thank you for being here. Paul. Lewis, I am a full CTO and CIO. Uh, and I spend on just operating IT and managing, you know, large teams about how the workloads extend to the edge and what the security of the data, both consumption and creation is going to be. And, uh, Great. Thank you. I think your sound was cutting out, but I'm not sure if that was just me. Um, um, yeah. For me. Yeah, Andre, did you hear that as well? Yeah, it was cut, cutting out for me also. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, so maybe we can try to troubleshoot that. Um, but um, maybe we will just start and get into the discussion, um, uh, start the discussion and get things rolling because we have a lot of ground to cover. Um, and I guess I wanted to start off uh, with Paul, um, just, just to give you the first question, which is, just what are some industry examples um, and values of the use of IoT, Edge, and 5G? So lots of great examples. Can you hear me? Hear me. In and out. Yeah. Okay, unfortunately. Okay, so lots of great examples. Um, the uh, most obvious one in 5G are the Edge um, production plants, right? Where uh, you have uh, digital twins of full production lines, and you can actually introduce change digitally before physically in those worlds. That extends to things like cities, 
uh, where I would have 5G for things like parking meters or uh, lights or cameras, uh, and I could redirect things like 911 resources. That would extend to things like oil fields and oil rigs, where I could have a digital oil rig implementation, and I can think about um, health and safety out in the middle of the ocean um, as compared to on land. Uh, and that would extend to things like lights out mines and lights out construction sites, where I can control the physical equipment without actually having any people involved. Um, and that goes to the real sense of the value of edge in 5G, where it's about a new human, uh, even so diagnosis within healthcare, right? Within the actual hospital settings itself, uh, where I can have a real different interaction between an MRI machine and an individual person. Edge security is all extended into this human uh, machine interface. Right, thank you. I think that, I mean, definitely, you know, doesn't cover all the, the case and examples that we can give, but um, it covered enough of them, I think, to show the importance um, um, the importance of the applied use case. And Alex, and I guess my next question would be for you, um, which is, uh, what do you believe are the biggest security challenges that are related to the adoption of 5G technology and mobile edge computing? Um there's a lot of challenges, but I think detection and response. So our ability to detect um, attacks, threats, uh, breaches, uh, you know, in near real time and to respond to them accordingly. And the reason is, if you look at past security incidents and breaches, you know, they fell into a couple of categories. Most of them did not affect, you know, every, everyday everyday people, consumers, normal citizens, you know, whether it's state-sponsored espionage or whether it's a financially motivated attacks against companies, you know, they're bad, but, you know, you and me would not normally be affected by such attacks unless our individual privacy would, be, would have been violated. Now with 5G and the use cases that we will see, that picture changes because we will see autonomous driving being enabled by 5G and mobile edge compute. We will have smart community capabilities, you know, mobile healthcare, I think was just mentioned. So here the potential impact and the risk as a result of breach uh, and an attack, simply a denial of service attack to, you know, the information your car needs uh, to perform in an autonomous way, for example. Here, the potential impacts to you and me and everyday consumer are significantly uh, higher and, and can be severe. Uh, so as the risk, you know, increases for, as I said, consumers and everyday citizens, it's really important from a technology perspective that we have the ability um, at the edge, near real time, uh, to detect attacks and, and respond accordingly. Definitely, and I think that we'll get maybe more into detail about that uh, later on in the discussion. Um, my next question here is for Jacqueline, which is what are the drivers um, for AI on the edge in a post-pandemic economy? What does the new normal look like? Um, a good, good question. Um, look, if I if I continue the the uh, the, the line of discussion from from five G, I think in in, in several ways, right? Um, with five G, what you find is a very distributed um, mesh network, and with that, you have a lot of uh, a lot of workloads constantly going over a very distributed. Um, 
hub model, right? Hub and spoke model. So when you look at um, EdgeAI, you know, you think about what, what is EdgeAI? It is literally a system where you have, um, I would say in this case, machine learning algorithms that process data generated by the hardware device at the edge. And in this case, maybe 5G handsets or IoT capable of Wi-Fi 6 or 5G, right? So the more you have that, um, one of the biggest users, I think, as we move into the 5G era, is that um, you're going to have to need um, a lot more intelligence of processing these workloads across a 5G mesh because you don't want to attach the same importance of every workload across this uh, across your mesh, right? So um, the rise of things like just just simply the rise of intent-based networking, where it's more application-aware, where it's more workload-aware, where it's more um, uh, needs and transactional-aware, um, right? So what is actually required to process what in what time span? And I think you'll find that those may be very well the first users of AI within the 5G realm. When you look then at um, you know that next set of what's going to um, uh, create more um, urgency for edge AI. I mean, right now you've got a lot of autonomous vehicles testing, right? Um, uh, it's it, you know things like uh, facial recognition, uh, uh, it, you know, um, out on security devices or IT devices or smart lampposts. That is already an example of AI and the edge. But when you then talk about, you know, what's coming post pandemic, right? Uh, you know, where, where, you know, there's going to be a lot more uh, remote and distributed connections. I would say the next, next level of it would probably in something like precision monitoring, right? Something that, that you know, uh, is going to affect all of us as consumers. So precision monitoring, which is um, uh, really understanding what is alerting out of what sort of device and in which way do you actually respond to it in, in the most appropriate manner? So not everything is going to be the same. Not every security, uh, cybersecurity breach is going to be treated differently because if you do that, it as an operator, as, um, as, a, as a provider of these sorts of devices, it is gonna be operationally cost prohibitive. So you want a lot of intelligence in the way you manage and operate this. And I think that would be possibly the next set of use cases you see in AIH. Great, thank you. I mean, this was going to be my next question, which was what are the, the initial, um, what will be the initial adoption of um, 5G and edge and computing applications? But um, I think you've, you've, you've answered that a bit now. Um, and do you, do, how do we see that it's already being used uh, currently and um, in, in which in which industries, no, you rephrased the question, maybe which industries do you see it really growing in because there are already technologies that are being applied in some way. Um, so it'd be interesting to maybe get your insights on some forecasts about where it's heading. Uh, sorry for me? Yep. Oh, um, in which industries will we see it? You know, um, I have to say, um, during the pandemic, I actually would have would have liked to see the healthcare industry make a whole lot more use of it, right? Uh, in that the need for social distancing, the need for um, high intensity intensity patient care without the ability to give care would actually um, drive the healthcare industry to adopt more edge. Um, 
applications, more edge compute um, uh, type use cases. Uh, that I, I think maybe the health industry was caught out by the pandemic and it had other issues on its hand really. But I think as you come post pandemic, I would say, uh, you know, the health industry would probably take a, a long, hard look at itself and um, probably move towards more of those sorts of tools and applications where it can provide that sort of care. And you see it already, there's a lot of um, digital health providers, that's the next wave of, you know, um, you know this, this new normal of digital health that's coming, that's coming through at, at the moment. Um, I think the other thing that, that, that will happen um, because of social distancing, you'll see a lot of um, different types of, um, I'm gonna say logistics and transport uh, type use cases. And that will be things where, uh, for example, uh, short-lived perishables cannot, um, uh, uh, you know, need to be preserved. So the amount of sensors that you would have on those sorts of things uh, where, um, you know, distance is now a lot greater because people aren't coming into central zones to purchase things, to do retail and things like that. So the distance of logistics and supply chain actually grows, but your supply chain actually has to shrink. So the amount of sensors, the amount of monitoring, I think that would possibly be that next set of use cases. And then you think about all that mobility around, um, I would say, um, you know, uh, the, 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 how should I say, the, the urgency, and I, I certainly hope Verizon accelerates, you know, it's 5G right now, because the ability to support that sort of mobility um, and, and constant, um, you know, sort of traffic back to central, to, back to central hub spot if and when you need, would actually be really useful in those sorts of use cases. Agreed. Um, Paul, why don't you give us the data angle here? What are the considerations for both collecting and consuming data at the edge? Sure, sure. So, so I agree with Jacqueline and, and all her examples on where sort of 5G and edge will sort of take place first. And I'd also add just before I answer that question, uh, you'll likely see the richness come in the asset. There's, you know, physical vehicles or, or assets within a distribution plant um, or, um, uh, wheelchairs in a hospital, right? It's about uh, finding where they are and where the inventory is, where they are, where they need to be, get lost, right? All those kind of things. It's about collecting means and bringing that information back versus AI where those trucks are automatically driving themselves from distribution plant to store, right? That, that, uh, and I also think on 5G, there'll be a pretty significant implementation of private 5G. So think of a large uh, distribution plant where it's multiple buildings and multiple stores across those buildings. And I need round before it gets to the stores. I think that's where a lot of that sort of work will be implemented and I can implement within my control. It effectively replaces Wi-Fi in many ways. But back to the day. Working from home um, equals working from anywhere and working from anywhere also equals services from anywhere. So just imagine it used to, you know, thousands of us went to the office and we used to, now there's millions of people at home acquiring goods and millions of people at home servicing goods, which really just means data is both consumed and created now at the edge, 
not in a sense I have to worry about its security, its governance, its protection, uh, its data lifecycle. All of those things are now worries at the edge. And now I have to extend all of my cybersecurity concerns, my IPS and my IDS and my internal penetration. Now I have to think about a federated uh, penetration world, right? Um, especially more difficult now that it's not just information workers workers at home, it's task workers at home, it's frontline workers at home, none of which have ever received, let's say, cybersecurity training, right? All of which at home from a bad guy and think it's actually IT because bad guys can't possibly know my home phone number, right? So I've implications of the data angle when data is now federated across millions and millions and millions in my own firewall. Right, and I think it's a really important point that you bring up that many, many employees are not educated um, in cybersecurity um, protection and prevention. And um, this is why we've seen a rise in ransomware attacks. Um, people are clicking links, uh, phishing attacks have been really successful um, at targeting uh, employees at, um, at, at really critical organizations, even within critical infrastructure. Um, so um, this is definitely something that I think many people are taking notes on. Yeah, uh, they're definitely more bad guys, better at what they do, and more precise in the kind of data they're trying to obtain. Right, exactly. Um, Alex, my next question is for you. Um, how much do you believe um, Will um, risk-based approaches to cybersecurity play a role in 5G and um, MEC? Um, I think a lot. And, you know, I think this is one of the many positive developments we have seen over the last probably two to three years. That security has become not only, you know, a technology race and, and you know, trying to throw the latest technology at the problem and hoping it's good enough. But you saw a lot of work and, and effort being put into creating outcomes with security. And that outcome is a, a true understanding and the ability to quantify risk versus the security posture um, that an enterprise, for example, is, is having in place. Um, and this ties to some degree to, my, to your earlier question um, when I talked about 5G use cases, I think this is where this will basically converge and come together as we try to measure and quantify outcomes we create with security technology and solutions. I think 5G use cases will be a great uh, application for that. Meaning, you know, I mentioned before autonomous driving. So the potential risk of not properly securing an autonomous driving ecosystem, you know, is obviously very different then let's say a breach of an edge-enabled gaming environment, right? You know, one is inconvenient and the gamer might be upset um, versus the other could actually harm human life and human health. So this is an, just one example where you have very different risk uh, spectra, very different risk outcomes on the spectrum between convenience and actual, you know, danger to human life. And I believe that as we look at these 5G use cases, it's 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 a great example to uh, sorry, it's a great opportunity to work backwards. 
So really start with the risk, start with a deep understanding and analysis of what is the worst possible outcome uh, if one of these environments gets breached and then work backwards in sense of what is the required security posture, security technology. I mentioned managed detection response before that should be and has to be applied to these use cases. So what you will see with 5G security is a highly modular stack of, of capabilities that start all the way at the radio access level as 5G itself. Um, it's, you know, it's covered in the 3GPP standard, sees a lot of new security capabilities and features already on the radio access level and on the transport layer, all the way up, as I mentioned, into detection and response. So, you know, these building blocks, these Lego blocks, if you like, will help us to, you know, assemble the right security posture compared to the risk a specific use case represents. Do you think that we will also see a broad adoption of zero trust policies? Oh yeah, I mean, look, zero trust is the new norm, if you ask me, or should be the new norm. Um, again, go back, I always like go back, you know, in time to look at how security has, you know, evolved over time. If you go back three, four years, the, the dominant paradigm was still protect the perimeter and trust everything that is inside the perimeter. Um, there is no perimeter, right? No the perimeter is, is gone. It's gone and, and 5G and mobile edge compute are even further accelerating the, the you know, the dissolvement of the perimeter. Therefore, zero trust has to be the new, the new norm, meaning, you know, the concept of least privilege, the concept of my default stance is I don't trust. Um, and every interaction has on that basis. And again, incorporated in the 3GPP standard. So a lot of interactions that happen on the radio access network transport layer in 5G are based on that principle. And the security stacks that we and others are building basically extend that concept all the way up first to layer three. So we, you know, we have the first solutions in place that deploy zero trust uh, on the network layer on layer three, and then all the way up to the application layer. Meaning you will see it, as I said, on the transport, on the network layer, you'll see it uh, in machine to machine environments, but we're also seeing it in form of software defined perimeter as you know, ultimately a consumer or home, you know, working from home tool that replaces legacy VPNs as we you know, know it from the past. Definitely, thank you so much. And um, Paul, in terms of edge computing, you touched briefly on um, edge being the new cloud. Um, can you expand on that a bit for us? And um, is that part of a diversification model um, that's being applied? So good question. We, we, we've, especially in this conversation, uh, but we tend to forget that edge is part of a much bigger sort of only use cases edge has to play in the rest of a complex uh, transaction set, right? The reality is it's not just uh, an application that sits on the edge, but it's also that application has a data center, which likely is processed. In our client. Wow, Paul, we're having a really hard time hearing you. Um, for some reason, your mic keeps cutting out. Are you using an external mic? No, okay. I'm not sure. Okay, well, maybe just continue. We will get the bits and pieces that are important. Uh, so yes, diversification is what a CIO and CTO needs to 
It's not just all the uh, federated applications that created inside the organization, like a cloud or problem versus a single one that's sort of conversion together, convergence. Thank you. Um, we're we're going to um, I'm going to ask my final question, and then we're going to head into Q and A. Um, unless anybody else want, has anything else to say um, or to contribute after Andrew's question, of course we can continue the discussion. Um, but just for the audience, uh, if you have questions for specific attendees, send them um, and specify who they're for, and uh, we will get to them at the end. Um, so, Stoney, can um, I can I offer an alternative opinion to uh, what Alex and um, and Paul has just said? Um, I think, yeah. Uh, well, when we talk about the the issue of data and security, right? L uh, let me offer an alternate uh, uh, opinion. I think one of the advantages of edge is that um, there is actually an inherent increase in the level of security in terms of data privacy because data is actually um, uh, produced and maintained on the edge. And actually where you deploy your models is to the edge. It actually doesn't, um, you actually eliminate the need to actually backhole your data processing. It's actually all done on the edge, right? So, I, I you know, it, it doesn't actually work like a cloud type model anymore. There is no backhole back into a central zone or even a hub zone anymore. And that is one of the beauties of, of edge and, um, and edge security. So I think uh, when you look then at edge technology devices, right, um, which is the next generation of devices coming up, there is no need to actually have it maintained by uh, data, data scientists or AI developers. Um, it's actually all done on that device. And I think actually where you'll find uh, that next um, thinking of edge is in three places. One is that um, uh, rather than zero trust, I think before you get to zero trust, um, the leap into a micro segmentation of one becomes a reality. So today on network, uh, we have micro segmentation, right? Uh, but they are still networked in um, I'm going to say centralized type devices. So they're still devised around, uh, designed around that. I think where you see edge going in uh, cybersecurity is going to be micro segmentation of one, right? Which is around that device itself. And where you get a lot of runaway on security is where people, right, who are supposed, who think they're IT guys or security guys, they put this device amongst their own set of devices and then stop connecting it up. And um, without without the proper design of a segmentation of one, right? So um, you can have zero trust on on a Siri, but as long as you you connect it to everything else that uh, that doesn't conform to the same standards, you are still going to be uh, exposed to some sort of risk. So I think the first first area where you see where we're going to see uh, you know change in architectural and design direction is in that micro segmentation of one okay that's the first bit the second area i think is that 
today applications, you know, when we went from an on-prem type um, architecture and design, it then became a cloud on a cloud native or SaaS type architecture and design. I think very shortly, and you see a lot of um, application and software houses moving to that, you're gonna have edge native design. So today, if you have to deploy an application to design, by default, you would still have to deploy it out of central. It doesn't live naturally on the edge, such as data would. It's just that data is living on the edge. But at some point in time, um, we would, as, as the technology community, actually have to start creating edge native applications, right? And, um, and, and that would actually make your compute a, 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 a lot more secure and a lot more built for the edge. It, 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 the, the applications that we have today aren't exactly built for the edge. The third area, I think, uh, where we will see um, a lot of um, uh, um, you know, advances is in the storage on the edge. So uh, you know, the, the, you don't need a lot of storage on the edge, but when you run AI model, modules, uh, they tend to chew up GPUs, right? So when you run them out of, um, uh, a, a centralized architecture, they tend to chew up with GPUs and deploying AI to the edge isn't really that simple because uh, these models run on base data and base assumptions, right? So you can't just deploy data to the edge and say, oh, you just use that data and you'll figure it out. It doesn't kind of work that way. Still has to make reference to, I'm gonna say reference data, if you like. So, um, Google and, and, and people like that have actually now created, uh, you know, TPUs and things like that um, for the edge, specifically for the edge. So I think where you see that next um, uh, movement in, in the technology industry is really about thinking of cost-effective um, storage, if you like, on the edge. So it's just like an, to, alternative, an uh, extension I, of what the gentlemen have said. I'd like to caveat, if I may, a couple of, of your comments. Um, so I don't disagree. I, I just, you know, would like to perspective on, on a couple of things you said. So, you know, first of all, uh, the way we deploy edge compute is all about cloud. So, you know, you might know that we work very closely with AWS uh, and the, the way we operate uh, the edge environment is basically cloud infrastructure, right? Technically, it's 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 wavelength, uh, former formerly known as Outpost. So that is a cloud environment. The second thing is, and you referenced to it, these edge mini data centers they are very constrained in space, right? Because there's a high amount of them, we have to get very close um, to our end consumers because we we would like to utilize the millimeter wave band. But this means we have to get closer and this also means these data centers where we run edge compute become significantly smaller and that space constraint means that there will be backhaul into a back-end cloud environment so there are workloads that will be autonomous at the edge but there will be a large amount of workloads that require uh, the backhaul into respective cloud environments uh, i fully agree on your comment on uh, specialized uh, you know silicon uh, and microservices to run analytics at the edge. We have seen this also at reInvent, um, you know, um, AWS announcing that. Um, so, you know, it would be interesting to see how this evolves. And, you know, I guess that in you know, different countries and regions, we will see different permutations of that. Um, and the last thing, you know, zero trust itself at layer three creates what we call IP enclaves. So technically it would, it would perform as a network segmentation function 
Um, so that's at least the way we look at it in sense of, you know, segmenting on an IP basis with, with encrypted, encrypted payload and extending that capability even to protect between wavelength zones or even within containers, you know, within Kubernetes containers, for example. But, you know, uh, it's early days and we will see uh, wh where the road is heading. Thank you, Alex. Uh, Jacqueline, do you want to respond to this? Or Paul, do you have anything to contribute? Uh, I, uh, my only addition would be to appreciate sort of the complexities of an enterprise, right? So uh, while it's true that one to run sort of an analytical or data collection process at the edge or empower an edge machine for corporate enterprise data that needs to come back to the core or to the cloud for the purpose of data protection, for the purpose of a variety of enterprise-wide governance. So it can't just be at the edge in all practical sense, especially if the edge is in fact, uh, right? if, if it's desktops, laptops, actually producing and consuming content. Yes, if I'm doing data science at home, I in fact have to grab data from the core into my edge uh, determine what the attributes are, do data quality, and send that data back, right? So it's not just an edge-only conversation in the enterprise world. Yeah, thank you, Paul. Um, Jacqueline, did you want to respond to any of the uh, Yeah, I, I, think, I think what the two, uh, what Alex and Paul have said is, is really about where we are today. What I'm talking about is where this will go, you're talking about post-pandemic, right? I'm talking about where we will go very, very rapidly um, in the next stage. And, you know, I appreciate what um, what we're talking about in terms of, you know, um, uh, uh, treating treating each edge of the network, but that's exactly what I'm saying. Uh, you know, today we treat it as a network is in its own right. We treat it as a specific device you know, as part of a wider cloud architecture in its own right. What I'm suggesting is that, yeah, that is true for how we think and how we architecture today. Um, in the near future, that thinking will change very rapidly in the post-pandemic world because, you, you know, that spread of cloud and treating edge as an, another extension of cloud, that architecture and, and design will change uh, in that post-pandemic world, uh, if uh, you know, I, I have no doubt that edge devices or 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 not necessarily DCS, just talked about IoTs and and edge devices, they they will be they will start getting treated as segments of one, uh, you know, micro micro segments by themselves. Um, you know, would we then need to backhaul um, data all the way back to to um, a, a central point? That may be so. Um, however, uh, as I said, your architecture and design in the near future or in the future would have to change as to how and why and where you do it and, and what for. Um, you know, uh, does it contribute to you know your bigger AI model and why should it if your AI model is actually um, de deployed down to the edge? where it is actually running a segment of one. So what I'm saying is, yeah, everything that Alex and Paul has said, yeah, I agree with, because that is where we are today with what we have. What I'm suggesting to you is um, um, in the future, uh, in the near future, that design and architecture, that architecture and design will necessarily have to change. If you look at the way autonomous vehicles are, are going, autonomous vehicles run 
as an edge on themselves. You know, um, if you look at, at 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 what Tesla is testing at the moment, it does not that that does not backhaul its data all the way back to central. It's running within that vehicle. Yeah, I think that's a really good case um, example. Um, Andre, I guess I'm going to um, maybe pause, pause this specific discussion because I want to make sure that we have time for Q&A. Um, so Andre, I'm just going to ask you, um, uh, as we're discussing, a log, large part of critical infrastructure OT is on the edge of organizational networks. Um, and cellular technology became an enabler and accelerator for connecting all these physical real world devices uh, to the internet and the cloud. From a security standpoint, what is your recommended approach when it comes to connecting OT systems to the cloud and what are some steps that organizations can take um, already um, in order to ensure that they're protected? I think you're muted. Sorry about this. Oh, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, so actually, um, start from great examples from uh, Jacqueline, Alex, and uh, Paul, when uh, they mentioned uh, healthcare and autonomous cars and uh, smart city sensors. So OT, the operational uh, technology, it's becoming uh, ubiquitous. So it's on, not only the controllers in the power stations, like a uh, few years back, it's every sensor, every device, autonomous device that is now being tied into the network to the internet. And the thing is that there are a huge variety of devices and manufacturers uh, and everybody's running towards making devices uh, and sensors cheaper and uh, faster and doing AI on the edge with special processors and doing more applications and doing, doing more uh, smart things. And uh, the majority of them are not concerned about security when manufacturing and selling devices. So uh, it's probably the more, uh, from my perspective, a flexible approach uh, to security is to wrap the to wrap the sensors with the additional security uh, layers, so that. On the one hand, we can get all this uh, great functionality and the acceleration of high on the edge. And uh, we don't have to choose between uh, the security and, uh, and the application performance or uh, what they can do. So maybe the best approach is adding the security uh, also in software and also in the hardware level, because the software today is not enough. We are seeing that uh, hackers very easily overcome the software protections, even for the data centers, and uh, definitely so for edge devices with limited uh, performance and uh, memory for the security functions. So it's adding the security to uh, any kind of sensor or any kind of device, because we need it today. We need today the privacy, we need today the security for the whole existing infrastructure that is being connected uh, to the network, to the internet, um, and to the cloud, and between themselves. Um, as there is no time to wait for uh, several years until the new generation of uh, 
devices are going to be to have a baked in uh, extremely high security. Definitely. Um, yes, thank you. Um, and I think this is why the work that Hub Security is doing with their um, HSM devices is really important. Um, if you want to talk about that a bit, maybe just in a sentence or two, and then we can um, go on, move on to Q&A. Um, so just to remind our audience, if you have questions, send them. Now's the time, get them in. Um, Andre. Yeah, so that that's actually the approach that we're taking with the in-hub security is providing a platform that uh, can add, can be added both to the existing devices, existing uh, systems on the edge, if it's smart car and if it's a camera and if it's a, a sensors in the power network, for example. And then it adds this, all the security of uh, physical security, network security uh, to the existing installations. So the network runs as is and the newer generation of encryption and authentication, including the quantum quantum resistant, uh, quantum proof algorithms can be added very easily without any disruption to the existing infrastructure. So that's on the one hand. And uh, not everything can be done on the edge, I think today and even in the future, as there is a also large advantage to doing things centrally in the cloud, in the big data centers. And there also it's, basically the same need, how to secure an applications um, that are running and processing very sensitive private data uh, and needs to be regulated. Uh, and so it's the same principle uh, from, our, from our standpoint on, as on the edge, the same in the data center uh, to wrap the, the application, the code, the data in a full stack hardware and software based um, securing claves. So our, our uh, clients can continue running as is without any changes and the hackers are automatically uh, stopped uh, before they get into the application. Yeah, super relevant uh, for especially for the current uh, landscape that we're in. Um, thank you, Andre. I'd like to now move on to the Q&A. We don't have a lot of time, we have about 10 minutes. And so I've just shoot them off. And um, some of them are for specific um, panelists, but um, no, nope, none of them are. They're, they're pretty open-ended actually. So I will just throw them out. And um, if you want to respond, um, you can uh, let me know. So we have one here from Igor um, who asks, does open RAN concept implementation have a perspective to become a widely used platform for edge computing? Anyone want to jump in on that? Oh, no takers. Okay. Could you repeat the question? Sure. Does open RAN concept implementation have a perspective to become a wide? We'll share it also in the chat so you can see it. Open 
I'll, I'll give it a try. And I have to admit, I'm not a radio access network specialist. So, you know, please take it with a pinch of salt. Um, what I do understand is that the 3GPP standard that I was referring to before gives us the ability to exchange significant more information across carriers in, in sense of the open run. Um, as you know, if, if we have a subscriber from a different carrier, you know, you know, roaming via the Ryzen network, for example, we still have the ability to understand who that subscriber is, uh, to authenticate to this subscriber, uh, and therefore this will have positive, you know, implications to edge compute in sense of understanding already at the radio access level, you know, how the user has been authenticated, who the user is, and who the where the user is ultimately coming from, you know, either from a roaming network perspective or even a geographical perspective. I'm not sure that is what what the question was aiming at, but that's that's you know what I'll take away from it. Thank you. Thanks, Alex. Igor says thank you. So I think maybe we could answer it. Um, moving, Jackson, did you want to contribute anything to that or no? Okay. So moving on to the next question we have here for Jacqueline, Paul, and Alex, would um, would you like to comment on private five G network? possibilities or potential. Jacqueline, Paul. Oh, okay. Why, why don't why don't I give it a go and uh, maybe Paul and Alex can 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 jump in. Um, uh, I think I think if I interpret the the, the question actually uh, it was something uh, I, I thought it was Paul that mentioned it, that uh, uh, that that he was seeing actually, um, you know, a far, uh, quite a big increase in in the amount of private five G networks. I would say uh, over here in Asia, um, as um, as Spectrum is getting released, so uh, I think it was yesterday or the other day, Indonesia just had its uh, first allocation of five G Spectrum as well. Um, it's quite interesting as much as consumer um, uh, 5G uh, uh, you know has hit the market first what we're seeing in the enterprise space is actually um, a lot of um, uh, private 5G demands and uh, you know the first ones that have actually asked us for this is actually government networks so where government has to have um, secure I'm going to say secure networks and secure connectivity um, over I'm going to say a sensitive transmission across secure uh, government departments. So that's the first area we've seen it in. Second area we've seen it in is I'm going to say government government related type enterprises. So things like um, airports, for example, uh, we've seen quite a big demand uh, for uh, private five G networks running over airports. Of course. In the current pandemic situation, uh, that 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 need have subsided. But just before the pandemic um, uh, hit, uh, you know there were uh, there was quite a big push uh, to actually run run those over uh, those sorts of enterprises. I, I don't know if Paul has anything to add to that. Uh, I agree. I, in fact, I, both government and transportation, uh, especially in airport, where very wide space with multiple outbuildings uh, that need to communicate in real time in many ways back to the back to the front right if I'm if I'm worrying about uh, and 
uh, traffic on the runways and in fact traffic at the gates that is a complex series of communications and this is the perfect way to sort of implement that internal communication pattern and then government in the secure communications across buildings and even within cities uh, secure communication so uh, I'm seeing a lot of that on the enterprise side I agree thank you Paul Alex, you wanted to jump in. Um, you have no, thank you. I think uh, Jacqueline and Paul really summarized it well. Thank you. Great. So we're going to move on to our last question here, um, which is a bit, um, a bit long. So bear with me. I will share it also in this so everybody can, can see it. There are some countries like Switzerland where there is still an ongoing discussion around the safety of 5G and especially millimeter waves. Um, in your opinion, is this a discussion that is basically unnecessary as research is solid enough to allow the assumption that there are no health implications to be expected? Or is it still a discussion that you think is relevant to be had? And if so, who should be responsible? I'm not sure if this is necessarily a cyber uh, a question for cybersecurity experts or uh, health professionals uh, or conspiracy theorists, but you can give us um, a little bit of insight or add to the discussion somehow. <laughs> I'll get it started and then and, and ask Jacqueline and Paul for their opinion. Uh, look, first of all, yeah, every discussion should be had. Should be had, right? We, in general, we should have discussions, and it's 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 always good to be cautious. I would just remind that we had these fears with every single introduction of this new cellular technology. So we had the same, uh, to some degree, conspiracy theories and concerns with four G, with three G. So this is not necessarily new. Um, I also would like to point out that 5G is not exclusive to the millimeter waveband, meaning the way 5G has been standardized and designed is it works on different bands. So on the C band, for example, and we have had the C band in use for many, many years and, you know, no health implications to my knowledge, uh, you know, have a reason to that. So ultimately, you know, we have to rely to, to a degree on, on the FCC in the US or on regulatory bodies that will, you know, attest how safe a technology is as much as we, you know, rely on health, uh, on health agencies as to whether the COVID-19 vaccine is healthy, uh, is, is, is safe, for example. So again, you know, always good to have a discussion, but I think, uh, yeah, I think it's safe to say that the technology is safe. But I'm not a medical professional, of course. You're not going to grow a third arm? <laughs> Might come in handy. <laughs> Might come in handy. <laughs> um, okay, great. Um, unless Jacqueline and Paul had something um, something more to contribute. Um, I just want to say thank you to, to everybody um, for your vast insights and uh, for joining us today. This was a really wonderful discussion. Um, and they're really, they're really interesting topics. They're all emerging and they're all related to emerging security challenges. And, and so there needs to be ongoing discourse and continued uh, discourse around, um, around their implications. So I'm really glad that we got the time to flesh them out together. Um, I'd also um, like to just thank um, Andrei Yaromenko uh, for joining us from Hub Security. Um, thank you for your insights as well. Um, and um, we hope uh, that you're staying safe and healthy at home and we look forward to hoping, holding many more discussions like these. If you want to get in touch or learn more about the work that each of our panelists is uh, doing, it will be included in an email that you will receive um, after the webinar um, with some contact information. So if you want to get in touch, if you have follow-up questions, um, or if you just want to make, make a connection, um, feel free to do that. Um, and 
um, to stay up to date on our upcoming webinars, you can follow us on Hub, uh, Hub Security on LinkedIn and also on Twitter. Um, and I write a short digest weekly on Medium. Uh, you can keep up with top stories uh, coming out of the cybersphere there too. Um, Jacqueline, Paul, Alex, anything else that you'd like to, to share? Thanks for having us. Appreciate it. It was a great conversation. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Hope everyone got something out of it. I think so. I hope so, definitely. And you'll be able to find um, this video on YouTube. It's recorded and you can share it um, with your friends and family, whoever is interested, really. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much again once more. And um, I hope you guys are all staying safe and um, that you have a happy Hanukkah and a Merry Christmas. <laughs>